Hey everyone, and happy Saturday. This is Paul, host of Pod Rocket, here to bring you one of my favorite episodes of Pod Rocket that you might have missed The State of JS Frameworks with Chris Ferdinandi. Reflecting on the state of web dev in 2023 can be exciting and definitely overwhelming at the same time due to the paradigm shifts in several pieces of tooling and technology that have piled into the last 12 months. This pod provides a refreshing step back from the framework-specific feature discussion as Chris and I talk about what happened in the last year from a more bird's-eye perspective. So here it is, the state of JS frameworks with Chris Ferdinandi. But I think your call out about developer experience and bug solving and maintainability really steps into play here because the future of the web could be like using actually like less things. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket, a podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket combines session replay, ever tracking, and product analytics to help software teams solve user reported issues, find those issues faster, and improve conversion and adoption. Get a free trial at logrocket.com today. I'm your host, Paul, and we have an exceptional guest joining us someone who's been making waves in the web development community by advocating for, I mean, we love to hear a simple, simpler and more resilient approach to building things for the web. It, it, it feels like the holy grail of the day and age. Please give a warm welcome to Chris Fernandi. Wow, Paul, if I ever have the money for a hype man to just follow me around and talk about how awesome I am, I want it to be you. That was one of the <laughs> nicest podcast intros I've ever gotten. Thank you so much. I, I went over with Chris at the beginning. I want to make sure our listeners know who we're talking to today. We're talking about grandiose things about the state of web development, our attitude towards the industry. Chris, I, I, we could say you're an expert in vanilla JavaScript. You've dedicated a large portion of your career to helping others learn and master through courses, eBooks, workshops, videos, whatever it might be. So we're going to get into some of these topics today and I'm really pumped for that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. I think the poster child sentence of this podcast is like the bloated web or the transitional web. I'm flip-flopping between the transitional web and the bloated web, but I like the bloated web because I think it put it, it hits that nail about what is the problem of the day and age. So I'd love to know from you, is it the transitional web or the bloated web? And why do you say the bloated web, Chris? Yeah. So I think for a while now, we've been in, in the bloated web. And this is something I've been talking about for a few years like maybe four years ago or so, five, I gave this talk called The Lean Web where I was talking about where we are today, where we've been in this period of time where if a little bit of JavaScript is good, a lot is even better. And so like we've been doing all these things in the browser with lots and lots of JavaScript that we used to rely on the server for. And in doing so, we've created this, this really fragile house of cards where JavaScript is incredibly easy to break. Like most browsers, if there's an error with your HTML or CSS, they just ignore it and move on. But because JavaScript is a scripting language, if something goes wrong, they just stop running it. And when your entire UI is rendered with JavaScript, that's really bad. JavaScript is also a lot more expensive for browsers to parse and render. It involves an extra step and it's just a lot more computationally expensive. So like a byte of JavaScript is substantially worse for performance than a byte of JPEG or HTML or CSS might be. And so we found ourselves in this situation where we're just, we're throwing the worst 
part of the stack at the browser in increasingly large amounts. And so even though internet speeds have gotten phenomenally faster over the last decade, websites are not actually meaningfully faster. They can do cool stuff, but we're building them in a way that is slower, more prone to breaking, just generally like less resilient and worse. And a lot of times we're recreating stuff that we could just use the browser for or do on the server in a much more reliable and performant way. And so when I talk about the transitional web, I, I for a while I was very doom and gloom about the current state of things. I actually see the pendulum finally starting to swing in the other direction. I don't think we're 100% there yet, but I think we're at the beginning of kind of the next big shift in how we build things for the web. And so I've been referring to that as the transitional web. Sometimes I talk about the rise and the fall of JavaScript frameworks. Not that they've fallen yet, but I see their their use in the front end starting to diminish over the next few years. I think your call out about having bugs crop up or like maintainability is a good call out because this conversation about we can't ship too much JavaScript is like Everybody's talking about that these days. That is the common point of view to be in. It's, okay, we want to ship less JavaScript. We know we shouldn't just dump JavaScript on the client. So we have this solution and that solution. We're going to get into some of them like, like you know, Astro um, is, is one. You ship no JavaScript by default. But I think your call out about developer experience and bug solving and maintainability really steps into play here because the future of the web could be like using actually like less things. It may, maybe it's not like tacking on yet another thing onto the meta of the meta of the meta framework. And that's one thing I really like about like your course, for example, is it brings us back to the basics. It's like maybe you could use CSS as just CSS. So one of the things we don't talk about enough is developers who've been doing it for a while, myself included, like a certain amount of tooling because it can make repetitive tasks easier. But that same tooling or too much of it can make things a lot harder for people who are trying to learn, who are trying to get into the industry, junior developers, and a lot of times like even people who are involved in the process of making a web thing but are not actively front-end developers or JavaScript developers. Like You'll have CSS specialists or folks who do accessibility audits who, when you throw overly complex tooling at them, it gets in the way of them being able to do the thing they're really good at. One of the things that I talk about is we've seen or we're starting to see this emergence of tools that shift a lot of the kind of the rendering from the browser back to the server, but they do it using modern approaches and tools. So you've got things like Svelte or Astro, which allow you to do state-based UI and like that diffing approach to rendering the UI, but what they spit out is not the entire the entirety of React or Vue, but just a little bit of JavaScript that does the, uh, you know, they'll compile what you've written into just the minimal amount of JavaScript that you need to do those things. The thing that always makes me a little bit leery about those tools, and I think they're great, they're much better, just real big shift in the right direction, but it is still using a very tooling heavy process. And it's still like a lot of work for someone who's newish to this space to have to manage and deal with. It's another kind of set of things to break. I'm a big fan of using just enough tooling and no more. And I feel like for a lot of folks in our industry, like the right amount of tooling is as much as possible. I don't know if, yeah, and I don't, the thing is, I don't know if it's like people really enjoy that or it feels like what you're supposed to do if you're quote, a real developer. And so everybody just goes along with it. And there's a huge amount of pressure from conference talks and just I'll call them thought leaders, I guess, on Twitter or whatever to constantly chase after 
tooling. If we wanted to get really controversial, we could dive into TypeScript and whether or not that's actually worth all the overhead, you know, throwing a, a tool in there. I think tools can be useful, but too many of them makes what you build harder to maintain in the long run. I, I used to run into this really ridiculous situation where if I didn't touch a website for five months and then I went to go update something, I'd have to spend the first hour and a half trying to update my Gulp build and figure out how to actually get all of my stuff to compile, which was really stupid and annoying to have to do when I just wanted to change like a couple of lines of CSS. I think uh, the like the TypeScript comment makes me think about this on a like a, a more abstract layer, which is what am I using the tools for? I think we say web development is this big umbrella term of like web development. What's the best for web development? But it's like, who are you as a developer and what's your end goal here? Because there might be a lot of scenarios where you're using a Jamstack development deployment, excuse me, using Jamstack, you're using prefabbed APIs and you're not as concerned about like data validity. Maybe TypeScript, you don't have to jump through those hoops. Maybe we have to reframe the question about what type of, what level web developer are you? I don't know. Not every tool is for everything. Yeah, I think there was this trend for a while where every website that people were building, they were grabbing a state-based UI library. So it was usually React, sometimes a Vue, maybe one of the other kind of newer ones like Preact or Solid or something like that. But it was one of those like, just because, because that's what you do. And I don't know if there was this mindset of, well, if it's good enough for Twitter and Facebook, it must be good enough for me. Uh, but conversation I always like to have is about tool appropriateness. And not just for you as the developer, but for the project. So if the tool actually adds specific benefit to a project, go ahead and use it. But if it doesn't, it might not really be worth the time and effort to do it. I think TypeScript is a really good example. I've never personally had an issue with types breaking my code, passing in variables that had the wrong type, or the fact that JavaScript is not a strictly typed language. I could imagine a situation where on teams of a certain size with a range of developers at different points in their career, that could potentially be an issue. I've even seen like certain kind of industry leaders who are like, TypeScript one, we should use it for everything. And it's like, should we though? Because it's a lot of work to set up. A lot of times you spend time fighting TypeScript to just get it to validate when the code you've written is perfectly valid and will run fine. And it, to me, it might not always be worth the effort. And I think that's true of most of the tools that we use. State-based UI libraries provide an incredible benefit for certain types of user interfaces and add a lot of overhead and create a lot of potential breakpoints in many, many others. But we have a tendency today to just kind of use them for everything. So for me, that's what it's really about, you know, being a little bit more thoughtful about the tools that we choose to use and when and why we choose to use them. I'd love to talk about state-based UI libraries such as React and Vue, and we'll get into that in a sec. But if you are a React developer, you are a Vue developer, use frameworks and stuff, and you're trying to debug your code, I'll take a quick pause here in our episode just to remind our viewers that the podcast is brought to you by BlogRocket. And LogRocket can help you understand exactly how your users are interacting with your digital products and on your React site throughout your components. Uh, so it provides session replay, ever tracking, product analytics, and other cool like AI features such as frustration indicators and analytics and algorithms to surface the most impactful issues affecting your users. So you can spend more time building great product rather than hunting through tools or other frameworks or integrations like we're talking about here. You want to solve your user-reported issues that your users bring up. 
actually find them before they bring them up and improve conversion and adoption. So you can do that with FlogRocket today. And I want to like turn us back to React. So thinking about React in particular, do you think that React as a state-based UI library has a permanent like King's Throne, a lion's share of our... <laughs> I mean, it does now, but for the transitional web, we're talking about the next 10 years. Do you think it has that lion's share? Because tools like Astro come out and they say, we have all these components, we have Astro pages and layouts, and but wait, you can put React in it. And so me as a developer, I'm, I'm, my first reaction is, oh, whoa, I don't have to learn anything new. I'm just going to go use React. And so your first reaction, Paul? Yeah, <laughs> my first reaction. My first state change is no state change. I just do what I've been doing. We use Astro and then we stick in React. So do you think that this is sort of like, are we going to continue down this path? Are people going to be lazy like me? And we're just going to keep sticking everything in a state library like React and wrap some meta framework and say, oh, you're shipping less. So there's a couple of threads we could pull at. One of them is for a while before React ever existed, jQuery, the hot thing to use to build for the web. And it still has a much more dominant share of the market than React does, even though jQuery isn't like the cool new thing to build with. And it's not what I think most people reach for as their first tool when they go to make things. But what what's definitely going to happen, because React definitely won the UI library war, is there's a ton of websites that were built with React that are going to have to be maintained for quite a while. and it's way more expensive to rip out a library on an existing site that's running it than it is to just keep using it. If you have a site that's running fine with React and you need to make some tweaks, it almost always makes more business sense to just keep React in there than rip it out and try to rebuild it with something else. For the business in the context of the team. For the business, yeah. Not necessarily for the user. If you're thinking about companies and how they're investing their developer effort. I think one thing you probably will see, and you mentioned this already, Paul, is... Astro is a compiler that allows you to use React, Vue, Svelte, a bunch of other stuff, and you can even mix and match them and use them together. So I think at least as a transitional period, we will probably see more developers reaching for a tool like that and just making a few tweaks to their existing setup to do more server rendering using kind of the build that they already have. And so from that regard, yeah, I think, I think, I think what comes next for the web will not be client-side, state-based DOM-diffing. But I don't think React is going to just disappear from the web anytime soon, much in the same way that jQuery has not disappeared from the web and probably won't anytime soon. There are sites built today that are going to be around for a long time and they're going to continue to run on React, whether that's in the browser or through some kind of server based or like OS based compiled ahead of time and distributed as HTML with little JS. I think React React has uh, staying power. The I think the other side of this though, the thing I don't know is state-based UI was a really big paradigm shift. And the web seems to have one of those every 10 years or so. I feel really strongly that at some point in the next four to five years, there will be like a big kind of rethinking on how we build UIs. And I don't think it'll be state-based UI. I just, I'm not smart enough to know what it's going to be. I just don't think, I don't think it'll be more of what we're already doing. You're just here to tell us 
there's going to be a thing, guys. <laughs> I'm just looking back at historical trends, and I know something will likely change. But just the tech industry moves too fast. Technology evolves too quickly. Like, I started doing web development back when the idea of like responsive web design and having a site that could work on your desktop and your phone was this really novel concept. And now it's just take, taken for granted. That's just what everybody does. A site on a phone. Yeah. I, it's, all, it's a long-winded rant. But what I'm trying to get at is that React, I don't think React is going away, but I also don't necessarily think it'll be like the first tool people reach for in three to five years' time. Um, it will be something else. And I'm also not entirely sure that these server-based compilers are going to be it either. So when we shifted away from jQuery, there was, there was this period of time where the, the browser natively could do a lot of stuff that jQuery used to be able to do. Like getting a bunch of elements by a class instead of an ID used to be really, really hard. So jQuery like added all these layers of abstraction to do it. And then we got Query Selector and Query Selector All, and suddenly this was like way easy to do just in the browser. But there was certain stuff that was still a little bit more difficult. And so people built a bunch of these transitional tools that kind of bridged that gap. So you had Umbrella JS was one of the big ones, which is still around on the web. You can find the website for it if you do a Google search. Shoestring JS from the folks at Filament Group up here in, in the Northeast. And nobody uses those today, but they were really popular for like a year or two as people were like, we don't need jQuery anymore, but the native web still isn't enough. And there's a part of me that wonders if tools like Svelte and Astro are the next React or the next Umbrella JS. Are they just bridging the gap to whatever comes next or are they the thing that becomes what's next? I'm not sure. And I'm not sure I would at this point bet money either way. But if you like forced me, I suspect that they might be transitional tools that pave the way for whatever comes next and not the next big thing. And I think that that also steps into, I, I mean, at a fundamental level, I get in our context of conversation, I agree with you. And I think it also comes back to like, how are you using this tool? Because if you're using Astro to band-aid your React, it's totally a transitional tool. You're, that's how you're using it. But if you're using it to re-architect the way you fetch load data, that, that, that's a different like domain you're stepping into. That's fair. And the other piece here too is maybe like we talk about something like SvelteKit, which allows you to, let's say you're not just, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move my React to something pre-compiled, so I'm shipping less code, which is a huge win just in and of itself, like you might do with Astro. And you're going into like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write my page is in a way that feels very comfortable to me. And what I'm going to ship to the user is almost entirely HTML and CSS with a sprinkling of JavaScript when needed. And oh, by the way, if that fails, it'll make an old school server call and work anyways. That's huge. You could, you, you could very much convince me that that approach has staying power. And I think that's part of the problem is like Svelte came out, people were excited. And then Astro came out and people were like, oh, I can keep using React and just better. I don't, I think that's for me, I've gotten a little hung up on the fact that I see a lot of folks using Astro as like a, use the same approaches, but more servery. And there is potential to just do things a lot differently with these tools too. I think you're starting to highlight like, yeah, what are some things I might bet on being in like, I bet depend on React versus like right now, for example, we're talking about uh, page transitions. I remember when Angular came out with that, that was like one of the 
poster child things about Angular. It's like I can transition in my SPA between pages. And now we're talking about putting that straight into the browser. So what other, what other things do you think are going to follow suit? So there's a couple of them. So one of the ones that's in the works right now, I think it's in like a stage two or three proposal, but there's an API to do HTML string sanitization. And I think that would be a huge win. One of the challenges with third-party data with vanilla JavaScript right now is that if someone has some sort of malicious cross-site scripting attack in the data you get back, you can do a lot of bad things to a UI. And most state-based UI libraries include some sort of sanitization process that strips out stuff that's not on some sort of allow list. It's the reason why React, for example, has the set H inner HTML dangerously property instead of just inner HTML. And Vue has their own kind of process for what's allowed and what's not. There's going to be a native web API for that that will make things a lot easier. One thing that I would love to see in the browser is some sort of DOM diffing function that makes setting HTML in the UI as easy as using something like inner HTML, but without destructively re-rendering every single thing on the page. Like I'd love to be able to say, here's an HTML string, here's an existing element. Make everything in there look like this with as little destruction as possible. <laughs> Effectively doing what React and Vue do in the browser. Um, because I think a lot of what people use these tools for is not full-on single-page applications, there's a lot of like just progressively enhanced, like I have a filter component or something like that. And you really don't need a whole library for that. But it can be difficult. It's much easier to do with state-based UI than old-school DOM manipulation. So having a native way to do that would be great. The other thing that would be kind of neat is, so one of the things that Single, so single page applications are, I'm going to say something a little controversial. They're terrible they're for the web. They just, they, most of the ones that get implemented are done with accessibility issues because you're breaking so many things that the browser just does for you and then re-implementing them with JavaScript, usually badly. So the one thing where SPAs really shine though is with media continuity. So for example, on YouTube, I can play a video and then navigate around and open other pages and pull up like descriptions for other videos. And the video I was watching continues to play down on the corner. Same thing with Spotify web view. I can listen to music and jump around to a bunch of different like player, uh, like songs and tracks and artists. And that media continues to play or like SoundCloud, same thing. And you really need an SPA to do that today. So it would be really cool if in addition to, say, the Element Transitions API, which allows you to get those cool like page transition effects, there was a way to keep certain media persistent while making a full HTTP request and getting a page back and hot swapping what's in there uh, with what you just got back. So I guess not all that dissimilar to what, say, the folks at Basecamp or 37Signals did with their like hot wire, HTML over the wire thing, but natively. Um, I guess effectively, I'm still talking about DOM diffing, just you're also including like the head and all the stuff up there. But yeah, I think that would be really interesting. And then this gets a little more difficult to answer because what invariably ends up happening is stuff that we use libraries for today, like the best stuff ends up getting absorbed into the platform eventually. Like the best parts of jQuery got pulled into the web. And as soon as that happens, 
a bunch of new libraries come out that tackle a whole new set of problems that we didn't even know we had. Is that going to be like AI integration? Is it going to be VR? Is it going to be something else? Like it's really difficult to predict what that's going to be. But I just, I almost see this as like a never ending cycle, right? We'll get, we'll get there with the native web and then there'll be a whole new set of tools bringing a whole new set of features that push things forward. What's important for a new web dev, somebody coming into the space to know for the next three years of their career, for example. And, and I think before we even think about the new frameworks and what would a company want? Who do they want to hire? And they want to hire and use tools that have a good knowledge base, a like good set of support. And when it comes to like these new AI tools, for example, I mean, in my own testing, there is no other framework they know better than React. And there's a reason for that. It's because there's so much React. Like AIs are pros in React. And it's like, that's an undeniable truth that we're going to have to grapple with as this becomes the de facto technology to spit out components. Just the what do people need to know thing. One of the things I've really benefited from because I've focused on just the web platform and a lot of those foundational technologies is I'm less concerned with which new libraries are popular and in vogue at the moment because it's a lot easier to kind of transition and pick those up when you understand more of the fundamentals of how they work. Like React is infinitely easier to learn when you understand JavaScript basics than if you don't. But uh, I, I'm also pragmatic. And so if like you're someone who's just graduating and you're looking for your first web developer job, it's really hard for me to say don't learn React because... React is what most of the job description is looking for. It's probably the easiest way for you to find work is learn React. And uh, yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think at least in the near term, um, you know, a tool like React or to a lesser extent Vue, there are still some companies that, that use that too, are probably, probably good bets. But I do think learning or digging, if you have the time, digging into a compiled tool like Svelte or Astro or I'll have to take a look at Quick will potentially put you a little bit ahead for what's going to happen in the next few years. Just like I remember when I was first getting into this and I, I was really digging into responsive web design because it was like this brand new thing. And uh, I knew more about it than a lot of the more senior devs because they just kind of dismissed it as this fad or weren't really aware of it. And it really benefited me early in my career. Um, once it finally kind of clicked, I knew a lot more about it than some of my peers did. And that was really helpful. Um, so uh, yeah, my general advice to folks now is if you desperately needed a job today, learn React. Uh, if you want to potentially set yourself up for a bit more success over the next couple of years, maybe dig into Astro or Svelte or something like it. Chris, the, thank you for your time coming on and picking apart this like very vague topic. This podcast ended up indeed just being a brain dump and us talking about the state of things, the future of things. And then I think you're just an interesting person to talk to because you have a slightly different corner of the room that you're yelling from where you're like, hey, like basics, people, fundamentals. And if you're in, if you're into that, like we mentioned at the beginning, Chris, he has a course. Uh, what's the name of the course? One more time. I have a handful of things. So the easiest way to find that and all things me is if you go to go make things.com slash pod rocket, you can find 
my daily newsletter, some courses, workshops, a bunch of free stuff, and a ton of links related to all the things that we talked about today. And Chris, are you on Twitter or Medium if people wanted to follow on your musings? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Chris Ferdinandi. My last name is a nightmare. It's got like a bajillion vowels in it. So just <laughs> go over to gomakethings.com. I have I have links to all that stuff. My email address, if you want to tell me how stupid and wrong I am. Twitter, if you want to yell at me. And my YouTube channel, if you want to heckle me in the comments. YouTube, there it is. Well, gomakethings.com, easy to remember. Appreciate it, Chris. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It was really great chatting. 